Hello, Revolution. How are we doing? Okay. There, I like that, AJ. Thank you. Whoa. I like it. It's fierce. Well, um, sorry. I'm going to have a little munchies on stage. Dustin Cooley has them. So whenever you guys greet each other, everybody greet him. He'll give you um, some. Uh, yes. Nilla wafers. Okay. So I have a few announcements. Um, small groups. For those of you that um, maybe don't come here all that often, us we have some small groups going on. We have some people um, to build relationships, to have some fellowship, and to learn um, really well. And so we have a different, a lot of different stuff going on on Mondays, but not this Monday. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, so there will be no school at Shawnee. So no, uh, for those of you that attend Revolution Bible Study at Shawnee, we will not be having it. But for those of you uh, who maybe go to Shawnee and are not involved, um, we have it on Monday nights at 8 o'clock in Massey Hall. And uh, we're going through Luke. Um, as David um, goes through Luke here, uh, we're um, breaking up into smaller groups and uh, hitting those points and just having good discussion on Luke. Uh, so if you guys want to um, get involved in any of these small groups, you know, feel free to talk to me or David or anybody else that's going to be on stage. We have some contact information. We can get you filled in that way. Um, Chris Jones is doing Behold Your God, um, and so that'll be on Monday nights at 6. I believe that is here. So if you guys want to be in, involved with that, see Chris, um, and also fill out some of the contact stuff. Uh, Dustin Cooley is doing one on Tuesdays at 7. It's called Christian Basics. It's going to be talking about a lot of basic beliefs that we need to have or should have in Christianity, what Christianity is all about, um, just some, co- um, some core doctrine stuff. Those are Tuesdays at 7, I believe, at the Rev House, right? So, guys, when you get involved, that talk to him. Um, Stephen is going to be starting one after Revolution on Sunday nights here. So, following the service, we're going to have a small group here. Um, he's going to be going through Romans, and I think the last one is on Wednesday nights. Uh, Brandon and Amber Pate do this. It's at six o'clock on Wednesdays here. Um, it's called Love and Respect. So, if you are part of a couple or even just want to, you know. Love people and respect them more. They're going to be going through a Bible study on that on Wednesday nights. And uh, one final announcement. Um, February 1st, I believe that's a Super Bowl Sunday. Don't judge me. They talked about that last week. Don't judge me. Um, so Super Bowl, we're going to be having communion next week. So come. What? So come next week. Um. Not only will we be having communion after the service and having some food, but we're also going to stick around and watch the Super Bowl, have some good fellowship. Yeah, that's what I said. February 1st. Oh, did I say next week? Sorry. Sorry, I'm butchering this. Okay. They're going to turn the lights on, and I want you guys to all think of a number between 1 and 10. Keep it to yourself. Keep it to yourself, and go around. It's going to be kind of chaotic, but go around. And whoever's thinking the same number as you are, that's who I want you to kind of talk to. You know, we have this idea. No, don't talk to anyone else. No, we don't. Well, I want us to just get to know each other better as a body and as friends and build different relationships that we don't always talk. We, you know, say go greet people. We talk to the same people every week. So let's try and, uh, you know, you will be randomly put with someone. Does everybody have a number? Go. What's up, Revolution? 
that ruled. That was, that was seriously awesome. Uh, <laughs> woo. Um, that was Triple E. That was, uh, if you guys are into hip-hop at all, and ever, I, I used to think Christian hip-hop sucks, because to be totally honest, a lot of it does. That dude's actually super legit. Triple E, look him up. He's really good. Um, but enough of that. I can't deal with fake people. Anyone else? Amen? Right? Like fake, that's a big Facebook internet word. Um, I, I, I've never been able to deal with fake people. I want you to be honest. I want you to tell me the way you feel. Um, I try to be that way towards other people. Even since I was little, I've always tried to be just real with people. Um, but before I go any further, I want everyone to understand that everyone's a little bit fake sometime. Right? Everyone, no matter who you are, everyone's a little bit of a hypocrite to some degree. Right? But I'm talking about like blatantly fake. Right? Like make your skin crawl fake. It's just super, super bad. Um, I got a few examples. This is going to be fun. Um, my first kind of fake that I really, really enjoy, I guess, uh, is Facebook fake. Uh, I call these people Facebook deceivers. Uh, like before I, before I met my beautiful fiance, Autumn, uh, who's in the front row, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm marrying in July. Um, so yeah, yeah, oh, thank you. Poor her. Um, <laughs> right, before I met her, sometimes I would get on Facebook and I would see a chick. I was like, hey, I've heard her name before. I'm going to try to talk to her. I know I'm not getting catfished because I think she's a real person. Um, and I, you end up chatting with someone on Facebook or whatever, and you realize you have some of like the same shallow interests. Like, oh, we like the same kind of music. We like the same kind of movies. And you decide to have some kind of a date. Right? You've went through their Facebook photos. You're like, they don't look like a complete ogre. This can go for men or women. And you're like, okay, this is going to be okay. And then you show up to where you're having the date. And you get out of your car. And in that moment, you realize that Instagram filters and Photoshop are modern-day witchcraft. You're like, I did not sign up for a date with Shrek. All right? But th- these things happen, right? That's Facebook fake. Um, this is another good one. Me and Stephen Walashek talk about this one. Gym and fitness liars. All right, the guy or girl, either one, that's always posting about, hey, uh, hitting the gym, new year, new me, uh, starting a new diet, right? They're always talking about that kind of crap. Um, Transformation Tuesday, I'm sorry, I'm just laughing at myself up here. Uh, But you're like, dude, you look the same as you looked six months ago. The only thing different about your Transformation Tuesday picture is that you're wearing different clothes and you're posed up a little bit different, right? But we all know that you're a liar, Right, and I'll tell you this too, y'all can't fool me, Papa John's Pizza is right next to Preferred Fitness in New Boston, so whenever you suckers go and check in at Preferred, you're liars, I know where you're at. Um, <laughs> right? I know the game, I used to be quite big myself. All right, and this, and women, I might get shot after the service for this, women are the best at this. My mom was awesome at this growing up. Uh, schizophrenic fake, right? Schizophrenic people, uh, they're screaming at you right, in person, just furiously angry for something that you did. I usually deserved it. Um, And then the phone rings. They're like, how could you? Hey, how are you? I'm so excited to see you later. And I don't get that. Like, ladies, like, that's good for you. You, I can't do that. Like, if I'm fighting with Autumn and someone calls me, hello, like, what do you want? Right, I can't turn it off. (laughs) But, But acting fake, right? Uh, being fake is acting like you or a situation that you're in is one way, when in reality, the opposite is true, all right? Um, we had some fun with that, but what about us, right? Those of us who would call ourselves Christians, what about fake Christians? These are the best, right? What about hypocrites, actors, right? The people that claim to know and the people that claim to follow Jesus, but in reality, they have no interest in Christ whatsoever, 
We all know this person too. I was this person for a long time. Like I was in the youth group doing the whole church thing through high school. I didn't give a crap about Jesus. Uh, I thought it was a good thing to do. Um, you know, like th- these kind of hypocritical fake Christians, they'll attend church regularly, right? They might tithe. They may hold a position in their church, right? They, they might know some scripture. They might know some sound doctrine, whatever. But it's apparent by their actions outside of the church building that they don't care about anything to do with pleasing God. They don't care about anything that Jesus taught whatsoever. Right? These kind of hypocrites, they profess that Jesus is their Lord, but then they do nothing to prove that that's true. You know, you know, their lives look no different from a non-believer's. They're still engaged in the exact same activities that Jesus and Paul and James and John tell us. Those aren't for you anymore if you call yourself a Christian. You know, they don't care about the sin in their lives. They say, I'm going to keep doing me. Church is something fun to do on Sunday, but, you know, I really don't think God super cares about all the stuff in my life that he told me not to do. Their attitudes are no different. They still hate people. They're still greedy. They still hold grudges, right? Essentially, they still run their lives. They don't know Jesus. It's evidenced by how they live. But let's not point the finger too hard, right? Uh, last week, we talked about don't judge, right? Which doesn't mean don't call people on their crap, but, but don't judge meaning be introspective before you go to someone else. Check yourself, right? Check yourself before you wreck yourself. I'm a 90s thug. Uh, but, like, check yourself. Be introspective. And, like, I, like, recognize the sin in your own life. And Jesus is piggybacking on that same concept of being introspective. Um, Jesus is what he's going to do in this passage that we're looking at this evening. We're in, we're in Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 49. Um, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to make us look in the mirror and ask ourselves, do I really follow Jesus? He's going to say, do I really follow Jesus or do I just profess to know him? Or do I just profess with my mouth to believe in him? Right. So before we hop into the, to the, to the actual text where we're going to see Jesus speak, just a little bit of a recap for the last few weeks. Um, Jesus has given this sermon for 29 verses, right? And he said this. He said that those who uh, hear his message are called to realize that they're sinners, that the poor in spirit will be blessed, that those of us who hear his word are supposed to trust him for salvation because we realize how broken that we actually are, and that those of us who do believe should be prepared to suffer, right? Suffer for following him, that this life will not be easy um, submitting to him and and being obedient to him, Um, and that believers are, are to love everyone no matter what, no matter what it costs, no matter how hard it is, and that believers are to recognize Jesus as the one true authority over their lives. And now we're going to see that Jesus calls us to submit to that authority that he has over us. All right, so let's, let's check this out. Luke 6, 43 through 49. It's going to be up here on the projector behind me. And just so you guys know, those blue Bibles out there, you can use them if you want. Uh, take them home with you if you don't have a Bible or the Bible you have is hard to understand. That's our gift to you. But let's see what Jesus says. Verse 43. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. 
Now, I don't know about you guys, but this passage, for me at least, is a gut check to end all gut checks. Right? It makes us ask all kinds of questions. Right? It makes us look at ourselves and say, you know, do my actions really reflect someone who knows Jesus? Does my life reflect someone who's been changed by the Holy Spirit giving me a new nature and, and actually becoming obedient to Christ because I desire to please him? Um, and this is something that we should be asking ourselves daily, but for me, this passage is just such an uppercut. But I will say this, one of my favorite things about this passage is how simple it is. Right? This is one of my favorite things about Jesus, of all the things. Uh, this is one of them. Jesus gives plain metaphors to plain people. Right? The concept he's trying to say here, this isn't rocket science, right? This is agriculture. And even though I'm from Minford, I don't know much about farming. Right? But I do know this. Apples don't come from orange trees, and marijuana doesn't come from a rose bush. Although, if you go to Minford, you might find all four plants somewhere in someone's yard. I'm just saying that, and I'm sick of throwing comedic gold to you guys, and no one laughs. All right? I could be making money in New York. That was good. I crafted that one. <laughs> right? But what Jesus does, right, is he likens all people to, to trees or some kind of plant. Right, he, he says that what we truly are at the root, right, at our heart, will grow out of us and be shown in our lives. And he calls that outgrowing of what we actually are, fruit. Right, so fruit is our actions and our attitudes. Right, it's the outpouring of what we are. It's evidence of our spiritual state. It's proof of whether we know Jesus or not. Right, that's what fruit is, is our actions coming from our heart and being shown. But good fruit... Good fruit is, simply put, whatever is pleasing to God that we do. Good deeds, right? Like helping out people that need um, assistance, uh, feeding the poor, um, befriending the person that has no friends, those kinds of good deeds. Good fruit is is killing sin, right? Recognizing that Jesus uh, commands us to put some things to death in our lives and die to ourselves. And then we we pick up our cross and we begin to put those things to death. Studying scripture praying and meditating on what we understand about God, asking God to intervene. That's all good fruit. Essentially, it's obedience to Jesus. All right? Bad fruit is disobedience to God. All right? it's, it's living life our way. It's, it's, it's being apathetic toward God and his commands. It's sin. That's what bad fruit is. All right? Elsewhere in the Bible, it says a tree is going to be known by the fruit that it bears. Um, but Jesus is saying that wherever our hearts are, Right, whatever is in here is going to come out in what we do. It's, it's inevitable. Just like an apple tree must make apples. Right? If someone knows Jesus, they must produce good fruit, and someone who doesn't know Jesus will produce bad fruit. But what determines good fruit? Right, this is kind of cool for me to think about. What determines good fruit? Um, because I don't want anyone to leave here thinking that good fruit is just being a good person or whatever garbage that... that our culture seems to feed like, oh, just be a good person by our standards. That's, that's great. Um, the real question is what pleases God? What is God's definition of good? What does God deem as good? Not us, right? Jesus says that true good comes from a good heart. And this isn't the redneck good heart either, right? We're like, oh, he only gets drunk on the weekends. And I, I think he's only smacked his wife one time, but I've known him since we were seven and he shared his lunch with me one time. He has a really good heart. Um, I, I don't buy that. Um, people, would say, people would tell me that my dad, deep down, had a good heart whenever he spent his entire life whoring around and, and doing heroin and not taking care of his children, but he had a good heart. It doesn't make any sense. That's not a good heart. Um, what a good heart is, though, isn't, isn't trying to do some good things um, here and there. Um, a good heart is a heart changed by the Holy Spirit. 
A good heart is a regenerated heart, a heart that's focused on Christ and submissive to Jesus. And I'll tell you this too, apart from faith in Jesus, our hearts are wicked, period. Like you are not a good person. I am not a good person. Apart from faith in Jesus Christ, we are depraved. Like, let me, let me tell you how bad that, that we actually are, apart from Jesus. We can't even want to do good. Because good, as God defines it, is what pleases him. But Romans 8 tells us, uh, Paul writes, that we are hostile to God. That the nature we were born into, because we are born sinners, is set against God, hates his commands, hates him. In and of ourselves, we can do nothing to please God. We don't even want to. We have wicked hearts. The Bible says our hearts are so wicked we can't even fathom how bad that we actually are. So we cannot do good and we do not even want to do good. And our standards of good doesn't count. Our standards of good does not count whatsoever, right? Doing some things that we consider good isn't actually good, right? Like being nice to the guy that's a neighbor that's a little bit weird or whatever. Uh, Being sober, right? Like stop doing drugs um, or never touch them. Uh, Being tolerant of other people's worldviews. You know, giving sometimes, usually around Christmas, but the poor can screw themselves for the rest of the year, uh, usually is what our culture says. Um, Non-believers can do that stuff. Seriously, non-believers can hit all of what we deem as good because our standards are really easy. Our definition of good is much easier than than God's. But true good, as God defines it and as God sees it, starts in the heart. Right Now, some people, I just want a little sidebar. Some people labor under the delusion that they're cool with God because they're good people. (laughs) Again, good by our standards. And I'll tell you this too. By human standards, I know plenty of good people that are on their way to an eternal hell right now. Some of them in my own family. Should they not repent, that's exactly where they're heading. And they are pretty good people by our standards, by our definition of good. Saving faith in Jesus is what matters. That's the root of true good, right? Good deeds come out of the overflow of a good heart, from the treasury of a good heart. Knowing Jesus is the difference. Having our nature changed, right? Because if if our nature is so sinfully wicked, just follow me on this. If our nature is so sinfully wicked that we cannot will to do good and therefore cannot do good whatsoever, it's going to take something giving us a new nature that's not like our sinful nature, but that's exactly what the Bible says that happens whenever we place our faith in Jesus and what he did for us, dying in our place for our sin and coming back from the dead. That God actually gives us a new nature that desires to obey him. That God gives us a nature that seeks to please him and actually can please him now because we've received new hearts. We've been regenerated. Right? That's what makes our actions good. Right? After we have faith in Jesus, that's the beginning. From then on, anything that we do to glorify God is what he considers good. I just wanted you guys, I didn't want you guys to buy the whole good person, uh, being a good person can save you lie. Because your works cannot save you. God's actually disgusted whenever we try to be good apart from faith in Jesus. It's not going to get anyone off the hook for the things that they've done in their lives. But but all in all, I'll get off my soapbox of that. All in all, Jesus hits believers with the fact that if we know him, we will obey him. That's what's going to produce good fruit. It's a result of faith in Christ. So... I would ask this now, now that we know that, with a question we have to ask ourselves, we have to look in the mirror and say, so do I have a good heart and do I have the fruit to prove it? Right? 
Has, has, has your nature been changed through faith in Jesus? Do you desire God? Do you desire to be obedient to him? Do you believe the gospel? Is Jesus your Lord? And some people enthusiastically say yes. Right? Yes, absolutely. I remember the day. I remember the time. I remember the place. I felt it. I had a very emotional experience. Right? I said the sinner's prayer. I remember where I was. Right? I remember where I was baptized. The preacher told me that I was saved. People enthusiastically reply, yes, I believe in Jesus. And I'm here to tell you, all that stuff's well and good if that's the beginning of your life following Jesus, but screw that noise. That's not what Jesus says good fruit is. An emotional experience, getting, some, getting wet with some water. That's not what good fruit is. The question is, do you obey Jesus? Is Jesus your Lord? That's the question that he asks us. You see, because we can profess Jesus all day and it mean nothing. We can do that all day. We can actually, we can say anything that we want and it doesn't make it true. Uh, story time. My, uh, my aunt, I told you guys about my dad a few times. Uh, my aunt did not like my dad. Uh, he was never around, like obviously he was, he was a drug addict. Um, he was out chasing women and doing heroin and she hated his guts. And, and, and like I said, she's not a Christian, so she's, she's going to hate him. Uh, but she hated him so badly that whenever I was really, really, really little, she would tell me that he wasn't my dad and my dad was Michael Jordan. Yeah. And I was really little, like six foot six, black man, played for the Chicago Bulls, best player ever. Screw LeBron James for the record. Um, right. And I didn't question it for a while. Like, I was really little. I was, like, I was like watching the Bulls at my grandpa's house. I was like, this is awesome. Like, there's pops. And then I got, I got a little bit older, and I was like, there's something off about the melanin. Am I albino? I don't really know what's going on. <laughs> right? Words don't mean anything. Right? I can say anything that I want to say. I can say that I'm a seven-foot-tall black man that plays for the Lakers, and that's not true, although that'd be awesome. My life would be significantly different than it is right now. All right? But words don't mean, words, mere words, in and of themselves, they don't mean anything to Jesus. Words by themselves are empty. Jesus even says, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Why do you run your mouth? Why do you say these words that you clearly don't mean? Because your life shows me that you don't mean it. Right? A ton of people claim Christianity. Like, think about it. If you were to ask... If you were to ask someone just randomly, hey, are you a Christian? They're going to tell you, yeah. Usually unless they're an atheist. That's usually what we're going to encounter around here. Those are the two. But more often than not, you're going to hear, yeah, I'm a Christian. But here's the thing. Even with people we live around daily, a lot of them that would claim to be a Christian, you, can't even, you would have no idea until they verbally told you that they're a Christian. I put that with quotation Christian. All right, here's, a, here's a chilling fact that I found out. 2014 Gallup poll, 77% of Americans claim to be Christians. Are 77% of Americans in church on Sundays? Are 77% of Americans helping the poor? Are 77% of Americans um, trying to abstain from the immorality that the Bible defines has to go in our life? Are 77% of Americans being loving towards people? It's a joke. It's not true. It's a lie. You know, everyone would like to thank God in speeches, but few people live in thankfulness to God and obedience and allegiance to Jesus but everyone wants to claim that they're a Christian. And what Jesus is saying is that words are empty and useless if they are not backed with genuine life change. You know, we have to be changed from the inside out. 
That's what happens whenever we have faith in Jesus, true, genuine faith in Jesus. It changes us. We receive a new nature from the Holy Spirit. We begin to desire to be obedient. And then when our desires change, we actually begin to be obedient and carry out Jesus' commands. Right? Proclaiming to follow Jesus and then not actually obeying him just makes you look like an idiot. And I don't mean to me, because right? I, I, I fooled people. I could get fooled. That's totally fine. Um, but you look stupid to God because God cannot be fooled. Um, you cannot manipulate God with some prayer uh, with no life change. You can't manipulate God by calling Jesus your Lord and Savior, and then your life shows nothing of it. God cannot be fooled. And just a, a thought, too, that I, I had. Why would we give Jesus the honorable title of Lord, of Savior, of God, and then dishonor him by not listening to him? That doesn't make sense. Why would we say that he's our Lord and then dishonor him? All right, so the heart of this whole sermon is, is Jesus your Lord? Most people want Jesus as Savior, but they do not want Jesus as their Lord. I'm here to tell you, he must be both. We want get out of hell free Jesus, right? Or we want help me, I'm in trouble, Jesus. Or man, life has really, really got me down. Please pick me back up and give me a little short spell remedy, Jesus. That's the Jesus that we tend to want. But the problem with that is there is only one Jesus, the Lord Jesus. That's the problem with that kind of mentality. You know, so, so if Jesus is going to be Lord, this, this concept is called lordship. And I, I want to teach you guys about this just for a second. Um, lordship is Jesus being in complete control over you. All right, there is no one higher. There is no higher authority over you, not even you. That in every single way, whatever, whatever Jesus says goes, period, in every area of your life, even when it's incredibly difficult and costs us, right? Whenever there's a sin in our life that we've really grown accustomed to and we really enjoy doing, that we say, oh, I, I didn't realize that Jesus doesn't want me to do that. No matter how much I might like, this, like doing this right now, I give it up because Jesus is my Lord and what he says goes, right? Forgiveness, it's hard to forgive people, but Jesus commands it. So we begin to do that because what he says goes, giving our money, giving our time, giving us to other people. Right? Jesus is in complete control over everything. And I'll tell you this too. Lordship of Jesus is not compartmentalized. It can't be. Right? This is like, this is 24-7, 365 days a year, or 366 in the event of a leap year, which is next year, I might add. See, even if you're an atheist, you can say you learned something useful today. All right. Whatever, guys. Like, I am throwing good stuff at all of you, and I get nothing back. Whatever. I'm going to a different church. I'm out. Uh, joking. All right, but, but this isn't contained, right? It's, it's every day, all day, no matter what. No breaks. This is not contained to Sunday nights listening to Jesus. This is not contained to just Bible studies. If Jesus is Lord, then we let him reign over us in everything, every single day. And I'll tell you this, Jesus doesn't negotiate either. Right? He's not a codependent punk wuss. That's not, our, that's not Jesus. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. He doesn't, he doesn't negotiate, right? Uh, we can't exchange our sins, right? Like, I'll stop banging my girlfriend, but I'm going to still watch porn because it's the lesser of the two sins, right? Or, you know, uh, I'm not going to be mean to her anymore. I'm just going to act like that she doesn't even exist. Or I'm not going to steal from anybody, but I'm going to cheat on my taxes, you know, whatever. Um, that doesn't make sense. There is no exchanging. Jesus says, lay it all down. There is no, you've been doing well. How about you take a day off today? Right? Jesus demands that the rebels, us, 
come to him and lay down our weapons completely. Lay down our wills, lay down our desires, lay down the things that we like that he does not. He says, lay them at my feet. I, I demand it. He demands everything from us when we come to him. But if you're like me and you're a sinner, and that's all of you, uh, you're going to ask the question, who is Jesus to demand this of me? I ask myself that sometimes because of my sinfulness. Who is Jesus to demand this of me? And you guys have to understand something. This is, this is something that took me a while to hit the realization of, and I'm glad that I get to tell you guys this. Jesus demanding us to come to him and submit entirely is not a rigid, cold, heartless command. It's not. He's asking us to do what should come naturally as new creatures that have received a new nature through faith in Jesus. He's just asking us to do what should be coming naturally for us. Really, he's asking us to respond to love, the love that he showed us first. Right? I, I would actually even go as far to say that Jesus has seduced us. Right? He wants our devotion. He wants our affections. He wants our hearts. That's what he wants from us. And if he gets our heart, he gets everything about us. And here's the thing. Jesus knew that it was going to take an unprecedented display of love to get our hearts. He knew that. Right, consider this. Right, from birth, we have shown God nothing but hate ever. Our lives are proof of that. If you think that you don't hate God, let me ask you this. Have you been completely obedient to Jesus your entire life? From the moment we're born, our actions show that we are openly hostile to him and do not desire anything to do with him except to sin against him. Give him the finger and say, I'm God of my life, not you. That is hatred. And because of that, because we have hated God and disrespected him, rebelled against him in this way, we deserve hell. That is justice. He is king of the universe. We have committed cosmic treason against him, and we deserve to suffer for eternity because our sins are forever before him. And because he is eternal, he is eternally offended because all he can see is our sin. That is justice, and it is good justice, and that's what we deserve. We do not deserve love. We do not deserve anything good, ever. I should have been born, died, and damned immediately. That would have been justice. We don't deserve anything good, but because Jesus desired to win our hearts and satisfy God's wrath at the same time, he came to earth. And the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, while we were rebels against him, while we hated him, he loved us, that he called us his sons and daughters, and Jesus came to buy us back from our own sin because we owed God a debt for our sin. But Jesus comes to earth being the only sinless person ever. And Jesus says, you don't deserve it. You deserve hell, but I love you. I will pay your justice for you. And Jesus takes our sin on himself. All of our disobedience, all of our refusal to submit to the lordship of Jesus. He takes all of our rebellion, all of our sin on himself. And then an innocent man who did not deserve anything becomes beaten and broken and bloody and bruised for the guilt of men like me and you. Because he loved us. And then he goes to the cross to suffer God's wrath that he did not deserve, but that we did because he loved us. 
And then he died in our place as a substitute because he loved us. And then to prove his love and to prove that God had accepted Jesus' sacrifice in our place, he raised him from the dead three days later. Now, he says, if we will just place our faith in Jesus, if we will submit our lives to Jesus and believe that he did that for us, believe that he loved us enough to do this and that it actually happened, that we don't owe God anything for our sin because Jesus has satisfied God's wrath for our sin. We didn't deserve anything good but he gave it to us. And, and, and now what Jesus asks for in return is full submission because if we actually understand the love that Jesus had for us and what it cost him and how much that we didn't deserve it, full submission is the only thing that makes sense. Having a heart broken and, and changed to love Jesus is the only thing that makes sense. So if, if you want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus or you want someone to pray with you, um, or, or, you do, or you want the, this, this good news, this gospel message explained to you more, come see me after the service. I want to talk with you. I want to pray with you. you know, Jesus has satisfied God's wrath on your, on your behalf. He says, trust in him and he'll pay it. But if you reject him and turn him away, that you'll pay it whenever you die. And I don't want you to put that off. I want you to come and talk with me. I'll pray with you. Or we're going to have a couple people over here by the couches during the music. We want to talk with you. We want you to believe the gospel. All right. But Jesus goes on to say something else, right? Jesus goes on to tell us that, that obeying him, right? He said, I'll show you what it looks like whenever someone comes to me and they hear my teaching and they obey what I say. He said, it's like someone who builds their house on a solid rock, right? Who digs and, and gets to the rock foundation and then builds their house on it, right? So he talks about two houses, one built on rock and one built on absolutely nothing, right? True faith that results in obedience is on the rock. It's on Jesus, the rock. Right? On Christ the solid rock I stand, on other ground is seeking, all other ground is sinking sand. I, I grew up singing that. Um, but here's the thing. In order to dig a foundation deep enough right, to actually get down to the rock, it takes a lot of work. It's hard. Right? You dig, and Luke said, and then you dig some more. Right? And we don't want to do that most of the time. Because it's easier to build our houses on nothing. It's easier to base our lives on our wills. You know, we'd rather build our lives on nothing than actually have to do the work to submit to Jesus because it's hard. You have to give up things that you don't want to give up sometimes. But here's the thing. Jesus never said that this life would be easy. Ever. Never once did Jesus say this would be easy. But he did say this, that if we would follow him and trust him for our salvation, that he'd save us. That's a fair trade to me. You know, and, and I hope you guys can see, see this with this parable. The, the houses are us, right? And this is a cool concept. In, in, in Jewish culture, uh, floodwaters can represent God's wrath. So these houses are standing. The one built on the rock can withstand the flood, but the one built on nothing is utterly and completely destroyed. And so what Jesus is saying is, is coming to him and, and, and trusting him uh, and with true saving faith that actually results in obedience and submission to him is, is, is building on the rock. It shows true faith. It shows faith that's going to call Jesus to stand in between us and God and take our place at judgment. Right? And, and our house, us, will hold up under God's judgment because Jesus is what's covering us and Jesus is what's supporting us because we proved that we were his people because we listened to him. We proved that he was not only our savior, but that he was our Lord. Yeah, but, 
But mere words are going to prove useless when we're before God. There will be no aid. There will be no rescue. Jesus will not know you because you were not his subject and he was not your Lord. Because you did not love him. Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commands. You wanted him as Savior, but you did not receive him as Lord. And in doing that, you fooled yourself. So what, right? What's the, what's the big thing? What, what I hope that you guys will do with this is I want you guys to, to not be afraid, right? to take heart um, and know that you can have assurance that you actually know Jesus by putting your faith into action. And if you haven't been putting your faith into action and actually submitting to Jesus as Lord, begin to do so. Recognize that you were wrong here and that Jesus actually says you must obey Seek to kill the sin in your life. As you come to understand more of what Jesus commands from you, begin to obey him more. Seek Jesus in scripture. Bow to what he says. Pray. Ask God to strengthen you so that you can be more obedient to Jesus. Begin to actually do things, to love people, to forgive people, to look out for the outcast, to seek people out that need help and then help them. And always be telling people the gospel. Always be telling people the good news that Jesus has died in our place for our sin. But, but check me on this. As hardcore as Jesus' message is in this passage, we're supposed to wrap all of this up in the love of God. We're not supposed to wrap this up in fear and obey because we're afraid. So here's what I want you guys to know. I want you to know that even when we mess up and have instances of rebellion against God, that Jesus has paid for it already. This isn't about your works that can save you. I know I sound like I might be contradicting myself, but, but hear me out. This is no excuse to sin, right? I, I'm saying that once you're saved, once you have placed your faith in Jesus and you begin to trust in him and actually follow him and be obedient to him, that you did not earn your salvation because Jesus earned it for you, and therefore you cannot unearn your salvation by messing up. You can't screw yourself out of the kingdom of heaven by messing up. It doesn't work that way. Jesus died once for all sin, past, present, future. Like I said, that's not an excuse to sin, but that's the reality of the love that God has for us, that he will not let us mess this up. But here's what a life that follows Jesus looks like. Even in the midst of messing up, if we habitually repent. Repentance is not a one-time thing. Repentance is a lifestyle. Repent means to turn away from. See, you realize, hey man, I messed up. I've been rebelling. I turn towards Jesus. I turn back towards Jesus. I resubmit to his authority. It's a posture that we adopt throughout our entire lives. And as long as we're in that posture of of submission and repentance, Jesus is our Lord, no matter how much we mess up. But but guys, I want you to to do the things that Jesus commanded from us. I want you to to do them because Jesus has won your heart. I, I want you to do them because you want to show your gratitude to Jesus for what he's done for you. But but above it all of that. I want, you to, I want you to obey Jesus because he has loved you more than you could ever fathom. And now you desire to build your life upon that kind of love. Let's pray. Father, you are good. You are better to us than we could ever have asked for, or ever deserved. The fact that you would send Jesus to die for us while we hated you and wanted nothing to do with you is absolutely amazing that you would choose to save us is amazing. Father, I pray that we take Jesus' words 
Why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I pray that we use that as a mirror in our lives and, and go home in this week and every week from here until the day we die. Ask ourselves the question, do we treat you as Lord or do we treat you as some kind of vending machine in the sky or get out of hell free card? Father, I pray that we begin to be introspective and ask ourselves, what are we doing for the kingdom of God? What are we doing uh, with obedience to Jesus? Father, put your Holy Spirit in us. Break our hearts over sin. Break our hearts for the things that you hate so that we'll listen to you and submit to the Lordship of Jesus. But above all things, God, I thank you for the cross, that Jesus would woo us and seduce us so that we would love him the way that he loves us. God, I pray that, that, that we would be faithful because we love your son. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.